Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of what is the last episode of the Red Cup Auburn podcast that will soon transition to the Auburn Today podcast at some point. We might keep it Auburn Today or we might come up with just a new name for the podcast. We don't, we'll don't. we still talk about that. But we're really excited to talk about all the things that have been going on in Auburn in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I think we should just jump right into it. The first thing that is just the biggest thing happened, you know, the end of June – is the NCAA passed the name image likeness rules, all that college sports taken by storm. Wheeler, what were kind of your thoughts uh, now, especially now about a month later that we've seen, you know, how the athletes are doing it, you know, Bo Nick's got that Milo's uh, sponsorship, like at 1201, as soon as the rule passed posted that. So Wheeler, what are kind of your, your thoughts about how, uh, Auburn athletes especially have handled it and then how NCAA athletes have handled it as a whole. So I, th- I really like it right now. I think obviously right now it's the wild, wild west. There's no regulation on it. No one really knows what it is. Like, I feel like even listening to SEC media days, the coaches aren't even really sure what you can and can't do. So everybody just, just kind of going with the assumption that you can do anything. Um And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think that is kind of how America is, you know. I mean, I don't think there should be a ton of rules. Um, I was really glad to hear uh, Coach Harson talking, and he was like, you know, we sat our guys down. We explained taxes. Mm -hmm. That way nobody gets slapped with a massive, you know, tax bill at the end of the year and doesn't have the money. So I think as long as the schools are educating uh, everybody on, you know, because – I mean, I'm not making seven figures. I mean, they were talking about Bryce Young. Obviously, he's making seven figures. I mean, that's a that's life-changing money, and so the schools definitely need to have somebody come in and talk to them about, like, how do you invest this money? How do you spend this money? You know, like all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so I feel like the schools are doing the best they can right now, and I think it's going to take a few years to see how name image likeness um, affects college athletics. I, I mean – I can really see it going one of two ways. I personally think it's going to increase parity in college sports because, well, depending on how much these deals are, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you're going and you're going to get paid, you know, half a million dollars to go play football at Southern Miss, you know, instead of going and being the four-star, you know, the 10th or 12th four-star at Mississippi State or Ole Miss – then that's going to bring parity to college football. If they're paying you $100,000 to go, you know, promote Zaxby's in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, then it begins to be a question of like, well, maybe it's worth more for me to go, you know, be on national TV, 
do all this stuff at Ole Miss or Mississippi State, even though I may not make as much money on the front end, I may not get the same name, image, and likeness deal being kind of a bench player at one of those schools. But if I end up playing, I could make the NFL a little bit easier, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that it'll be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's – I especially think it's going to be cool for the stars in college that don't translate to the NFL because it's almost like you look at some of these guys that didn't get – some of these guys that were really good in college that didn't even really get a shot in the NFL. And it's like they didn't – it wasn't like a Johnny Manziel where it's like, oh, incredible college player, gets drafted to the NFL and busts. It's like look at a guy like Colin Klein from Kansas State who – I think the best he got was a tryout at an NFL team, but it's like that guy was really good in college, and it's like he would have made a decent amount of money, especially at Kansas State. So it's like I think it's really cool for guys like that that can make a legitimate living and like make a lot of money playing college football in addition to getting their school paid for uh, that don't have the shot at the NFL that a lot of the other stars do. So I and definitely I'm think glad it's good. that they're not changing. They say that they're not amateurs anymore, and I'm like. I think that they still have just as much amateur status. I'm glad that the schools are not paying them. Yeah. That's when I think it gets bad. It's when the schools are paying them like they're employees. I think that that's too much. But mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, and then it gets into a weird line like, oh, we're paying you. You know? It's like yeah. – I feel like it's more like – I feel like it's a lot more like they have their own freedom of going there. But I feel like once you, the school starts paying you – it's almost like, I don't know, I feel like it changes just the atmosphere of the whole, the whole program. But I definitely agree. I think it's good that it's players can just make money off what they do, what people want their face on, all that good stuff. Um, so I'm definitely excited about that. I think it'll be interesting to see, especially during the season, how, how sponsorships work. But I also feel like it's going to be kind of like, you know, kind of like a little bit how it is in the NFL with like memes and stuff like that. It's like, you know, Bo Nix. I feel like it's going to rub certain fans the wrong way if Bo Nix comes in and plays horrible in a game and then on the plane ride home posts a pic of him drinking Milo's and is like, love my sweet tea on the way home from a game. And it's like, bro, you just got scrubbed by 30. Like, now's not the time. So I feel like I'll definitely be getting some DMs from angry people about that. But. Yeah, there's always going to be the guy that, you know, Bo Nix is going to throw an interception this year, and the angry guy behind his keyboard is going to say, well, if he was on the practice field that day at 12.01 throwing passes, he wouldn't have thrown an interception. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's right. Um, you've never made a mistake at your job because uh, you don't have a Milo sponsorship. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can already see the comments now. Bo Nix plays bad week one against Akron, and I see someone say, I'll never drink Milo's sweet tea again. <laughs> Literally. That, and then there's also the thing of, well, I don't like NIL because the offensive linemen aren't going to get the same deals as the quarterback. And, okay, there I think there are two things to say about this. First of all, it works just fine in the NFL. Those guys still block for their quarterback. It's no big deal. Second of all, Sometimes I think people forget that, like, the guys that are playing college football are, like, guys who think probably the same way as you do. And so the offensive linemen are not under this delusion that they are, like, wildly more popular than Bo Nix and that they are wildly more marketable than, you know, 
Seth Williams would have been last year or Anthony Schwartz. Like, they know how the world works. Like, they're normal people. They're mm-hmm. not thinking, like, I'm so awesome. I play O-line at Auburn. Everybody wants me on their car dealership. Like, they realize I'm not going to be as marketable as Bo, as, you know, Owen Papo, as if Kobe McLean. And so I think they're going to be fine with that, you know? Like, it's mm-hmm. not – it's not going to be that big of a shock to him. And if it is, I mean, that might be an isolated incident from somebody that's just not very intelligent. Yeah, I totally agree. And you also look at the fact that it's going to be like, if you have like, you look at like the high school level and you've got players that, you know, their five-star quarterback behind them is getting Dodge Chargers from Alabama, is getting checks from all these people and they don't get anybody talking to them. They still block for the guy because they want to get to co- like they want to get and play college football. These dudes in college, they might hate the quarterback's guts, but they're trying to get to the NFL, so they're going to block for them. And it's just like it's just like in life. Like if you're at your job and someone else at your job gets paid more than you, you don't just not work. Like <laughs> you still you still go to work every day. You still try your best. You still try and make a living. You try and make the money that you can make. You don't just be like, oh, this guy gets paid more than me. I'm just not going to try so that he so that he fails. Like that's just that's just not how it's going to work. So yeah. I definitely agree with you. I think that's kind of kind of a ridiculous statement. And it is good for your players to be friends with each other, but like I think that's sometimes overrated. Like Alabama won a championship, and literally their center and their quarterback like got into a fist fight on the field at the championship game. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't really. I mean, you listen to these thirty for thirties all the time, and it'll be like a quarterback and his offensive lineman and he'll be like oh I hated his guts like whatever they go out they win the football game like I think there's just this utopious view that people have of college football that like all of the athletes are these like innocent people that don't have minds for themselves and like they're all going to be best friends and they all work out together and it's all Rudy, you know, everybody's going to go lay their Jersey down in front of the thing. And it's like, no, like this is still like real life. They, they aren't living a movie. They're living real life. It's just like every other team, whether it's your work, whether it's your small group at church, like people don't always love each other and they can still work together even if they don't. Yeah. And to build on that, uh, I think the 2015 Panthers in their preseason I mean, Cam Newton and Josh Norman got into a fist fight, and it created that legendary picture. They went on to go 15 and one in the regular season, lost in the like, yeah, they lost in the Super Bowl, but it's like they had one of the best regular seasons a team has had in NFL history. And there were players there that got into actual fights in practice. Like, that's just if you get this many grown men together, like, you're going to have differences. You're going to have fights. That's just how it works. I mean, and that's just something you're going to have to deal with. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think that we're both interested to see how name, image, and likeness will translate to the college level. Um, I also think it was really funny that picture that Auburn men's basketball posted on Instagram of the team listening to their speech. In the picture, you've got Bruce Pearl and a couple of the coaches. They're looking at the guy smiling. The players look incredibly disinterested. I mean, Dylan Cardwell's asleep in the back. Walker Kessler's looking at the camera, wondering when, when he's going to leave. I think uh, I think you could see Chandler Leopard in the back looking on his phone. I mean, everybody is just – all the players are just really just kind of not paying attention, not focused into this guy. It, it was a bad look. Uh, <laughs> Dylan being asleep in the back, 
it looked like the only person paying attention for real was Bruce, and Bruce looked to be paying so close attention that he seemed to be the only one that noticed that the camera was there and knew that he needed to look like he was paying attention because he probably looked over at the guys and said, this is not a great look. <laughs> um, so, funny picture. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't. I had never heard of that guy. Um, I guess he's good. Bruce brought him in. But uh, <laughs> he, maybe yeah, he just man. went on a little long with what he was doing. Yeah, maybe this was the end, and he was kind of wrapping it up, and the players were just kind of losing interest at the very end. But they, they were paying attention throughout the the meat of the, the message. Let's hope. Yeah, again, I think this goes back to this utopian view of college athletics that every single player is locked and loaded in every single team meeting, and they're not, you know, eighteen year old kids who have been in class all day, done probably a workout played pickup basketball and it's nine o'clock at night and you're listening to some dude drone on about his brand when his brand has 17,000 Instagram followers. And I mean, for Dylan Cardwell, what does he have? He probably has like, Oh, I don't want to oversell him. I was going to say about, he is. Well, Dylan has 14. Okay. So yeah, this guy has the same amount of followers as, you know, the guy that's coming in to tell him about marketing. I don't know. Life's not all about Instagram followers, but if you're in marketing, it kind of is. Yeah, I definitely think I, – I, I agree. I think that was a funny – just a funny picture. Uh, I think we can, you know, use that and segue into our next kind of topic. First, let's just talk about SEC Media Days wrapped up. Um, well, first of all, SEC Media Days almost added two new teams apparently – with Texas and Oklahoma just all of a sudden being like, hey, we want to come to the SEC and not showing up to the Big 12 calls and all that, just kind of random stuff happening. Uh, we can just talk about this real quick. I don't think this will happen personally. I just can't see it happening, especially not this year, maybe a couple years down the road. But uh, I think the SEC bylaws say that you have to have 11 of the 14 teams okay it. And reportedly, Texas A&M and Missouri are hard-nosed because, you know, they're from the Big 12. But, Wheeler, what are your thoughts about uh, Texas and Oklahoma potentially joining the SEC? Do you think it could could happen? Do you think it will happen? What do you think? Okay, so I was um, convinced that this was not going to happen solely because of the Texas A&M situation. However, I don't know if you've heard of this Kirk Bowles guy. Um, this has kind of blown up literally in the last hour. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, Nathan King is where I, he uh, retweeted this or posted it somewhere. Um, so Kirk Bowles is uh, a writer for the Austin Statesman, uh, which is a newspaper in Austin, Texas. Um, so one hour ago, this is Friday at 9 a.m., um, says – Prominent Big 12 source tells the American statesman that the Texas-Oklahoma move to the SEC is a done deal. They've been working on this for six months, and the Texas A&M leadership was left out of discussions and wasn't told about it. Move could become official within a week. Next tweet. Asked about A&M being kept in the dark during secret negotiations between Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC. Uh, one connected SEC source says, I wouldn't dispute that. That's a quote. I wouldn't dispute that from an SEC source. Um, And then his most recent tweet from 25 minutes ago, 
is I'm told only Texas Governor Greg Abbott could stop this move to the SEC from happening, and logistical minds uh, would think that he would have known about this for a while. So, according to the Austin Statesman, it kind of sounds to me like Greg Sankey and the SEC knew what Texas A&M was going to say and basically said, we don't care what you say because here's the thing. Greg Sankey and the SEC don't care if they make Texas A&M mad because what are you going to do? Go to the Big 12 that doesn't have Texas and Oklahoma? Like, so, I mean, they have no power in this. Like, I know that they have the gentleman's agreement, you know, that everybody's talked about and everybody's like, oh, well, Texas A&M and Missouri can veto this. But it kind of sounds like the SEC was like, this is really good for our business model, and we really don't care what you two think because y'all are just thinking selfishly. Y'all aren't thinking for the group. Um, and it sounds like the rest of the member institutions wanted to do this, and I am fascinated by, you know, how this is going to happen. Um, I think this also ties into the uh, expanded playoff, um, how the SEC tries to handle this. Um, it sounds like Greg Sankey – I mean, he. I listened to several interviews from him at Media Days, and he just sounded – absolutely gassed and he was like i have not slept in the past week there's so much going on so here here are kind of our uh situations that i've laid out for uh the situation that we have i think possibility number one is if we want to keep divisions in the sec the only way i see divisions being kept is if you move auburn and alabama both to the east and then you add oklahoma and texas to the west Okay, so that does not really cause a problem for any of your major rivalries. I know that everybody says Alabama-LSU is a rivalry. That's not really a traditional rivalry. That's just been a game that people have been hyping up because typically LSU has been good, Alabama has been good. I think that a Georgia-Alabama annual matchup is much more um, compelling, you know, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and you add – I mean, you, yeah, you lose Alabama-LSU, but you replace it with Alabama-Georgia and Alabama-Florida. So, it's Which like two kind much, of classics. Much more interesting. Um, so, okay, so that's if you want to do divisions. Um, and then I'm – if you – even if you, if you wanted to not lose that Alabama matchup, you could just make – because they would have a common opponent over in the other division, you could make LSU um, that common opponent. The only thing with that is if you do the common opponent, we're already having problems in the SEC with teams not playing everybody in the other division, like, very frequently. I think the last time – so Auburn played in the Swamp in 2019, and I think before that, the last time they had played there was 2006. Okay, so that's that's not great. You know, you don't want two premier teams only meeting up one, you know, two times every 13 years. Um, So – Maybe they don't do common opponents, and then you're just rotating against all the teams. That way you can play them all in the four-year period. That's very interesting. What I think is going to happen is I think they're going to dissolve divisions, and they're going to do basically a round-robin, especially if the playoff gets expanded. Do a round-robin, no championship game, and then do championship based off of, like, whoever won the most games. Um or do round robin and pick your two best teams to go to your championship game, um, which I still think would work out as fair because there's no way that you could do round robin and have three undefeated teams. Um, so that's what I think is going to happen. Personally, I don't think that they're going to keep the divisions. Um, is it 
basketball that they don't use divisions or is it baseball? I think it's baseball that they don't like, I don't know. It's basketball and baseball. They don't do it like they do football, you know, like it's weird. They don't have all basketball. Yeah. Basketball doesn't matter. I mean, divisions. I mean, it's kind of like, I think it might, they might consider it with scheduling, but it's kind of like we, yeah. I I think you play everybody though. Don't, I mean, you play everybody twice, don't you? That's where I think it is in basketball. I think in basketball, you play everybody in your division at home and on the road, and then you rotate which teams in the other division you play at home and on the road, but you play everybody. I don't think in basketball, I don't think you play everyone twice. You play a lot of teams twice, but I don't think you play everybody. I know. I think you play everybody in your division twice. Oh, yeah. 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 And then you you have, so like if it was the, the football thing where you rotate, you rotate who you play twice. Based off of that. Um, So they, I mean, it's not like divisions or, you know, you're taking away the SEC office is going to have to write a whole new thing. Like they, they do no divisions for a lot of different sports. Softball, I think is the same way as baseball um, where you're going to play everybody in the series. Um, So, yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, I think it would definitely contribute to, a super conference. I think, honestly, the biggest winner, and this is going to sound really strange, but I think that one of the biggest winners, if this happened, might be UAB. Because right now UAB is in Conference USA, and I think that the American Conference is going to make a serious push to get some lower-tier D1 schools that have the potential to grow, um, or maybe even Troy. Troy and UAB, I could really see as schools in our state that get picked up by the American as an attempt of the American to try and become the fifth of the Power Five teams. Because you look at the Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, they may be okay for two or three years where they still have the guys coming in, but it's going to be real tough for you to pitch, come into play at Iowa State. And, I mean, who are they going to pick up? Houston? I mean, but that's what I'm saying. If the American makes the push, I could see the American picking up some of the the teams, making sure that the Big 12 – and basically they just kill the Big 12. It's a fascinating – it's going to be fascinating if it happens to see how it shakes up the landscape of college football because you honestly won't have a Power 5 anymore. I don't think that the Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma is any better than the American is now. I mean, that's just – it's a little bit of a hot take, but it's going to become even more so that the Americans better now that the Big 12 is not pulling some of their recruits. Because if it's the same thing, I'd rather go and play in Orlando at UCF, you know. And Waco, than, Texas at Baylor. Yeah, then go to freaking nowhere in Waco. Um, the only thing that's there is a bunch of silos in Magnolia. I mean, I went there. It, it's sad. They have an In-N-Out burger. That's nice. Um but, yeah, I mean, it's not a happy place. I can't imagine that Iowa State's a very happy place to go either. So. Yeah, I definitely think it'll be a, it'll be weird. But also, the SEC, man, like, that would be just such a loaded conference. And I, I, I saw something, and it was, uh, I think, I think AU Hyped posted this on Instagram. And it was, it, you know, the meme, and it was like eight and one Auburn, you know, turning the the stretch and it's like eight and one Auburn hoping to, you know, win the SEC. And it was like 
at Oklahoma, at Texas, Alabama. And it's like, but it's like, it's just so true. And I was imagining like, if you, if you kept divisions and it was like, if Texas and Oklahoma happened and it was like, imagine Arkansas, who's got, if Arkansas had a year where you got to play Auburn, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, LSU, Texas A&M, Georgia, Florida, like that's eight teams that could realistically be ranked in the top 10 at one point. Like that is unreal. Well, and if you add Texas and Oklahoma, you could, I mean, you could potentially have a situation where there are three of the four playoff teams are from the SEC. Mm-hmm. I mean, Even I don't think with the conference championship. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you'll ever get four in a four team playoff from the same conference. Um, but I mean, yeah, that would just be, it would be crazy. The matchups, I mean, I don't think game day would leave. They may want to put some money into SEC Nation because people are going to rather watch SEC Nation than game day. Because what game day is going to look at Michigan, games that Michigan plays, games that Ohio State plays, Penn State plays, and maybe USC. And then they're going to do a bunch of those little podunk school things where everybody in the town shows up. Because they're trying to avoid the SEC <laughs> because nobody else is good. Yeah, they're gonna go, they're gonna go and watch James Madison and South Dakota State instead of the Red River, the Red River rivalry, Auburn, Georgia. I mean, it's gonna be literally three at least three matchups in the SEC that are gonna be top 10, top 15 matchups, and game day is gonna be in South Dakota. I mean, you could potentially within the same conference in a day. I mean, this you could have the Red River rivalry, shootout, whatever you want to call it. Alabama, Georgia, if Alabama gets moved to the east, and Auburn, Florida. Mm-hmm. And that's Maybe. just a random – that's your random random game day in October. That's not even rivalry week, you know? And I think that makes it if the if this happened, it would make it that the SEC is the t- is like especially just the just college football. Like you look, Ohio State will still you know compete for the playoff and all that. Michigan and Penn State. I mean, Penn State had Penn State was pretty close in 2017 when they had Saquon Barkley. Besides that, they haven't been especially close. Michigan hadn't been especially close to making the playoff. You look in the Big Twelve. Uh, Baylor almost made it that one year. I mean, Pac-12, you'll have Oregon and Washington maybe, but it's like people don't watch Oregon and Washington that much now. So it's kind of like if that – and then ACC, you're going to have Clemson make it every year and no one else will get close. But it's like that – it makes the SEC the only place that people are going to watch. And people are going to go, oh, yeah, Clemson, Ohio State, they're going to make it in and just play everybody that the SEC has to offer. Yeah. I mean, at this point, let's just – hey, Clemson. You come join too. I mean, you're you're southeast. I mean, just have everybody. Well, I mean, I'd be interested. I wonder if I mean, I don't know. I don't think that anybody would leave the SEC just because the money payout is so good. But it does make you wonder if like Mizzou and Arkansas would take a hike over to the Big 12 um to try and save the Big 12 is a Power 5 conference. I could see Mizzou doing it, but I don't think Arkansas will because if you look at it from football, these two schools, it'll be a long – like if Texas and Oklahoma 
are in the SEC. I don't think Missouri or Arkansas will ever win the SEC, ever. No. I don't, I don't think they will. I don't think the Mississippi schools will. I, I don't think that will ever happen. It's going to be a tough road for Auburn, too. Yeah, exactly. But you look at some years where it's like, okay, like 2010, 2013, those teams still would have won the SEC. 2017, I think that that team would have been hard-pressed to go through in Oklahoma that year as well. But if you look at Missouri, Missouri really – if you look at the major sports, they're really not good at any of them. Like, they were bad at baseball. They were bad at football. They were bad at – or decent at basketball. They were decent at basketball, but they didn't do anything in the tournament. You look at Arkansas, yeah, they're bad at football. They're really good at basketball. They're really good at baseball. I mean, they, they had the closest game against the national champions, Baylor, that anyone else had in the NCAA tournament. Baseball, they won the SEC. So I think Arkansas would be a lot more tempted to stay in the SEC because they're like, well, we can compete in the other sports. But it's like Missouri, if they get waxed and everything, they're like, we're going to go to the Big 12 where we can actually win something. Yeah. Yeah. But would you like – if it was your decision, would you rather – adding the two teams create one big just the top two teams make it or would you rather keep the east and west divisions and try and keep how it's been uh i would rather do a big mosh pit because i mean it is impo- it is nearly impossible to go and have a great record when your schedule is lsu alabama oklahoma texas i mean Seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if I you're agree. LSU, Auburn, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas. You know, that's just – I think that's too difficult. I'm sad that it's Oklahoma and Texas because I don't like Oklahoma or Texas. I wish that we were bringing in Florida State and Clemson if we were going to bring in two teams from another conference. I think they fit better inside of the footprint. Um I mean, Florida State's not very good right now, but if they came to the SEC, I think they could step it back it up. Uh, Clemson is really good. And then you make two in-state rivalries again. Um, the only thing that really excites me about Texas-Oklahoma is uh, Thanksgiving night will be restored and Texas and Texas A&M will play. And if y'all thought that they hated each other before, imagine <laughs> now that mm-hmm. Texas is following Texas A&M to the SEC. And Texas A&M didn't know that it was happening. Like, if, if that tweet was true and it's like, oh, they talked about it for the past six months and Texas A&M finds out at the same time that we find out, yeah, that would that would be a show. And the but, fact that Greg Abbott knew, mm-hmm, yeah. the governor, and he didn't say anything, and nobody in Texas A&M found out, I mean, seriously? that That's just a lot of bad blood on the field at the same time. But that is assuming that this Kirk Bowles guy – I mean, he works for a reputable newspaper. I mean, I'm assuming they're reputable. They're a real newspaper. It's not like roops2go.com. Yeah, he's he's verified on Twitter for what that's worth. He's verified on Twitter, and he works for, like, an actual newspaper that, you know – I mean, their website looks like they're run probably by the New York Times or USA Today. But – but I definitely think that adding – I think that add, that Auburn – and this is something that I've, I've personally wanted for a long time, even without, like, 
I think Auburn should be in the East and Missouri should be in the West. Like that, I, I've thought that for a couple of years and I kind of want that to happen. I would like if Auburn was in the East and if this was the way it happened, I'd be fine with it because I think that being in the East is better for Auburn, especially. I think, yeah, you lose LSU every year, but you gain Tennessee and Florida every year. You don't have to play Texas A&M. I, I would personally like to be in the East. I think that if we were in the East and – I would prefer Texas and Oklahoma to be in the West. I think that'd be an interesting fit, but I think it'll be interesting to see. I, I personally, I, I don't think it'll happen just solely because I feel like this is such a massive change. But at this point in the podcast, there was a slight emergency. We had to pause the recording, but we're back right now, and we're just going to use this to segue out of the Oklahoma-Texas talk go into SEC media days. So here we go. Uh, Wheeler, first quote that I have uh, from SEC media days was from Bo Nix, said that he and Owen Papo ran stadiums before they left for SEC media days this morning. He said we made sure not to skip out on that. How excited does that make you speaking to their work ethic as players and just how the culture is and changing at Auburn? I think that that's a really good sign. Um, I'm sure that, you know, other teams probably did the same thing, but the fact that they mentioned it, I think it just shows that there's a different mentality right now with this team, that it's uh, all about the team. It doesn't matter that you're going to SEC media days in the afternoon. You could still be in Auburn in the morning, you know. Um, and then Coach Harson saying, you know, they'll be back tomorrow running stadiums. Um, so I'm excited. Um, I thought – I don't know uh, – if you have the quote from Harson that you're about to pull out, but it kind of goes hand in hand with this. And he said it, he said it in the nicest, you know, classiest way, but he basically said, uh, you know, I got here and I wanted to find out why guys thought it was okay to show up late to workouts. And I wanted to know why guys thought it was okay to just not show up for workouts. Um, and he basically said there wasn't a good reason other than I'm lazy or I'm just late. And he was like, and that's been changed. Um, and so we had heard that, you know, from reporters talking. Um, I think we talked about on the last episode, Brandon Marcello um, doing a story. And he basically, uh, you know, Horson told him that in the story. But to hear him say it publicly, um, just kind of confirmed. And then Bo Nix, you know, and Owen running stadium showed. Nobody's above the rules, you know. Nobody's above the workout. Nobody's above the team. I don't care if you're the store. I don't care if you've got a Milo's deal. I don't care if you've got SEC media days today. This is what the team's doing. And anything else you want to do outside of the team, that's fine. But don't let it interfere with the team. Um, so I thought that that was very encouraging, both of those quotes. Yeah, I totally agree. And I definitely – I also liked the uh, the Harson quote uh, – and this was just the first one or kind of the just one that was kind of just a standalone. Uh, and it was from Nathan King saying, sounds like Brian Harson wants to be at Toomer's Corner rolling the treats with fans after Auburn's first win. I think that's great. I don't think Gus Malzahn ever did that. So it's kind of like, I think that's a cool thing. And it's like, you know, it just builds the camaraderie because sometimes players would come afterwards, but I feel like it'd be cool. You know, I feel like it's cool to see the head coach partaking in one of those traditions, you know? And talking about talking about Tiger Walk and all that, and I definitely think Brian Harson is very excited, you know, 
to be in Auburn. And I think that he – I think that this is also something he's really wanted. Uh, you know, the, the quote uh, he said, when Alan Green called me, he said, remember me, and I said, hell yeah, I do. I think that Brian Harson has always been like, like from this moment he like saw that Auburn job open up, he was like, I want that. I want to be in Auburn. I want to be in that program. I want to be in that culture. And I think that this is just someone who, even though he's not an Auburn guy, quote unquote, you know, he didn't go to Auburn, whatever, but I do think he loves Auburn. And I think that he is in this short time he's been here. I think he loves it. And I think he is really wanting to partake in all those traditions that make Auburn so great. Yeah, I agree. And I, that, he kept mentioning that um, they were asking him, you know, about the job. And I got the sense he had gotten other job offers outside of Boise that maybe would have been a stepping stone between the SEC and where he was. Um, and that he, you know, I may just be saying this because I like the guy, but it sounded like he wanted a job in an environment like Boise that he thought had a family atmosphere that fit his recruiting pitch you know I, I think everybody's getting really caught up in the stars right now and I don't think they're realizing that he is looking more at the quality of the people he's looking at what their mentality is you know about football he's looking at do they want to be in a community like Auburn and the guys that don't he's just not recruiting because it's not going to work out um you know, I think Dukes of Scoop was uh, tweeting something about how all ball all the time isn't good. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't agree with that. You know, Nick Saban does all ball all the time. And I think that it may not be a super popular thing with some of the guys that Gus was getting. Um, so it may not be popular with some of the players that are there right now because they got recruited by a guy that's not all ball all the time or is weird, you know, I mean – so I think he's doing the best with the people he has right now, but also I think there's going to be some players that are there now that are not going to buy in necessarily fully to his system and maybe, you know, telling the media some some stuff that is not the most high praise. I did think it was funny. He was clearly very salty with Gus um, about the uniform thing. That was a bit As of a chotch move. Total chotch move, but here's the thing. It was a chotch move by both of them. It was a chotch move from taking the uniforms that Arkansas State had purchased before Gus got there that Gus didn't like and wouldn't let him wear, and then saying, oh, we're playing Gus. We're going to wear the uniforms that Gus didn't like and wouldn't let y'all wear. That's a chotch move. Then saying, oh, yeah, I'll decline the 15-yard penalty, and then not is also a chotch move. Okay, I disagree though. Like with with the uniform thing, it's like, yeah, they didn't wear them because he was there. But it's like as soon as he's gone, it's like if the players want to wear them, if the coach wants them, like why should they not? Should they be like, oh, we shouldn't wear them against Melzahn because he hated them? It's like how often do you play a team and you're like, oh, I hope the other, I hope the other team's coach likes our jerseys. Like we got some we got some alternates here. I hope I hope the other guy likes it. Like no, you don't care about him. You care about your own school. You care about if your players like. You care about if your fans like it. I don't think that I don't think that's a charge move at all. Now Gus Melzahn being like, oh yeah, y'all can wear whatever y'all want, and being like, we'll just decline the penalty. Then they throw the flag, and he's like, psych, back him up. Like, <laughs> I mean, dude, that's just. Oh, I just thought that was really funny that that actually happened. I mean, that's something that you would think happens in like a pee wee game, and it happened in college football. I thought it was funny. 
You could tell he was definitely salty. He was trying to be classy about Gus. I get the feeling they don't like each other at all. They have a lot of connections. I feel like they like all the people around each other, but they do not seem to like each other. Um, it seems to me also, though, that Brian inherited the same thing at Arkansas State that he did at Auburn. And I just think they have two different mentalities. I think that Gus loves football. I think Gus was obsessive about football just like Brian. I don't think that Gus communicated that passion well to his players. And I don't think that Gus taught football to his players, you know? I mean, I know that his route schemes are pretty rudimentary, but you can't tell me that the guy doesn't understand other ones. He just chooses to do these basic route trees, and he chooses to not have any reads. They have different philosophies, and I think that Brian's philosophy hates people with Gus's philosophy, and that's just the way it is. Um, And I don't think that's a bad thing, you know, Um, because whatever Gus has been doing has not been working. Yeah, but I mean, yes, we say that, and it's like, obviously, we don't want the, you know, it's frustrating at times, but I do think, you know, Gus Malzahn's offense in 2013, when it was revolutionary, yeah, all that great stuff, it was incredible. It was one of the best offenses college football has ever seen. That was great. 2014, the wheels came off at the end, but all in all, not a terrible season. Those games were close, even the ones we lost, except for that Georgia game. But then 2017, that was a good year. 2019 was a good year. It's like we had good years under Gus. We just couldn't get over the hump. But it's like I think that the Gus Malzahn train, when it's not good, it's really bad. Whereas when I think Harson, I think that a Harson-led team, when it's not very good, it's not going to be really bad. Like it's not going to be to the point where you're so frustrated watching it where you can call out – every single play that's going to happen. I mean, the last game he coached at Mississippi State, we were I was sitting in the stands and we called the three plays that we ran and we went three and out and punted and it was like this is ridiculous. Cuz if I can do it, I know someone who is getting paid a million dollars to coach football, to coach defense, I know he can do it too. So it's just that kind of thing is just was a super frustrating thing about Gus and I'm definitely hoping that Harson will not have just the part when you just want to pull your hair out because you know exactly what's coming. I don't think Gus really ever out-schemed anyone after. No. I don't even think in 2013 he was out-scheming people. That was the thing about it. They knew he, what was happening. He just had a great offensive line and had two just amazing guys in the backfield. He had super speed out of Nick Marshall and Trey Mason. Every time that Auburn was just real, like had any kind of breakthrough, they had really, really good offensive line, really good quarterback, and really good running back. And that's just not going to happen every single year. Like it may happen at Alabama every single year, but like most teams don't have just tremendous, like generational talents every single year. And that was my problem with Gus is that if you didn't have a generational guy coming in, then we you weren't, weren't going to do, do anything. And heck, even last year, I thought that Jarrett Stenham and Carrion Johnson was not as dynamic of a duo as Tank and Bonex. Think about not as dynamic, but who, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Bonex with Tank Bigsby, or would you rather have Jarrett with Carrion? They both have the 2017 offensive line. 
2017 offensive line. So are we talking about 2017 Jarrett and 2020 Bo Nix? No. The, the total package. Seeing what you saw now, you're about to play this season, and you have the 2017 team, and you get to pick who your quarterback and running back are. I'm picking Stidham and I, I'm picking Stidham and uh, Carry On personally. I love I love Tank. I love Tank, and I I feel like you could make the argument possibly, but I'm still picking. As of right now, I'm still picking Carry On over Tank. Like from what I've seen of Carry On and what I've seen of Tank, I'm still taking Carry On. Yes, but no. Tank makes me a top five Auburn running back in the last twenty years. Well, yeah. But, like, okay, but you look at it, okay, the past 20 years, so from 2001, okay, so you've got Cadillac and Ronnie are going to be one and two, Trey Mason, on Johnson, Tank Bigsby. Who are you going to put over those guys? Uh, I, I mean, think, the options, I ben, think Tate. ben Tate. I think Ben Tate was a really quality running back. Yeah, I love Ben Tate, that but, could, I mean, watching him. Carry on. You think he's better than carry on? So you think you think Here, out of those thing. five carry on? Everybody remembers carry on like on the back half of the 2017 season. The front half of the 2017 season, he was not like really that good. I mean, he had that run against Arkansas State, but like Kyle Davis also had a catch over Arkansas State. Like they were a little sad that year. I'm just gonna say. Well, well that was I think that was different. That was different. You know, it, was it was a different year, but that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. But yeah, I do agree what you're saying. I, I I get what you're saying that carry on was a little slower to hit the ground running with it both with his Auburn career and in 2017. But I think that how he did turn it up, I think that that was one of the better performances we've seen. And personally, I think I'd take Cameron Artis Payne over Ben Tate. Honestly. No. 2014 Cameron Artis Payne was an absolute animal. No, Ben Tate was much faster. Kenny Irons is better than either of them. College running back. Okay. Kenny Irons yes. is one of the yes. best college I running backs. I do agree backs. with that. I mean, I that do agree man with that. was elite. I think you would put Kenny Irons over Tank Bigsby right now from what they've done at Auburn. From what they've done at Auburn, Kenny Irons has performed better than Ben Tate or than okay. Tank Bigsby. Kenny's so already played Tank, his full career though. Tank is about to play his second year. What it what exactly that's why you can't rate Tank Bigsby as the second best running back that Auburn's had in the past 20 years when he's only played like seven games. Noble, you can see the way the guy runs. He is a freak. You need to go I, watch his highlights freak. again. I know Noble, I do. He is I, a do. Freak I need to get back hyped nature. up on Tank. I do need to get back hyped up on Tank. But for what he has done, you cannot say he is a top five Auburn running back in the past 30 years when he's only played seven games. You can't. Yes. I'm just saying, you can't. No, that's like putting – that'd be like putting Javon Robinson top ten and being like, oh, yeah, when he was playing, he looked no, great. Was Sharif like he didn't a top five much. Auburn point guard in the last 20 years? Okay, that's different. That is oh, a really? different. Oh, really? That is a completely is it? You different can't put debate. him in there. It's only eleven games. Okay, Auburn's had Auburn has had great running backs in the past twenty years. We have had horrible point guards in the past twenty years. Oh, I can't even. I can't even. Point guards this year are going to be really good. I'm really excited about the basketball team. 
I am too. I think Wendell Green and Walker Kessler, I think those guys are going to be two really, really solid additions that are going to, I think that's going to be, I think basketball is going to be really exciting this year, personally. Uh, but let's go back. What's the other point guard? Yeah, well, it'll be Wendell Green, Zep Jasper, Katie Johnson will be the three top yeah. guards. Uh, and then you look, this was another thing. This was an interesting thing that I'd like your opinion on. Uh, Brian Harson was talking when they were asking him about COVID. Uh, this was, I think it was after Eli Drinkwitz, especially he was, he, he said that his team was about 95% uh, vaccinated. He, you know, he's the coach at Missouri. They asked, uh, I think you have to be above 80% vaccinated to get like, to kind of unlock some of their, or like undo some of their restrictions. Uh, and Auburn, according to Brian Harson, is about at 60%. And he has pretty much said that he's not going to tell – he's not going to mention it to his players, essentially. He's not going to try and coerce them and be like, oh, if, you, if all you guys get the COVID vaccine, this, 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 this are going to happen. This is going to be good for us, whatever. Uh, it, it seems like he's not going to say that. He's going to say that it's their own decision. He said it's bigger than SEC football. Um, it's their decision. And when asked about it, I believe it was uh, Gianna Hahn. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. She was the one who point blank asked if he had got the COVID vaccine and he said no comment. So take that however you will. Weather, what were your thoughts about that uh, conversation, that exchange? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Harson. I mean, it's – I don't understand what the obsession is, why other people care so much whether the Auburn football team has the COVID vaccine or not. I mean, it's like we said earlier, they're people. That, I mean, clearly this is not just a no-brainer situation in our country. Um, hey, if it's 60%, that's twice as much as the state of Alabama, so he's doing twice as good of a job as the rest of the state is. Um, I mean, you know, it, it is a personal decision. It's a medical question. I don't think it was necessarily appropriate for Gianna to ask that. Maybe that's why she doesn't work for uh, the Auburn Beat anymore. Um Glad that a lot of the beat writers are going. Can't say that I'm sad to see it happen. Maybe we can get some writers in here that, uh, I don't know, care about Auburn and don't want to just complain about having to go to work. Um, it really rubbed me the wrong way when they all complained about having to go to the press conference um, on Christmas Eve because, um, you know, they had been working so hard sitting in the press box watching football games all weekend. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that the COVID thing – should have been a question at the SEC media days. Um, it, it doesn't really affect the people. He said that they've been testing, you know, the normal testing because they're not out of the protocols and haven't had a single positive test since he's been there. So, I mean, there you go. Yeah. There you have it. There are breakthrough infections. There's so much to it. We're not going to get into the whole COVID thing. Um, I will be intrigued to see if they do Tiger Walk, if the team – wears masks walking through there, or if they just go, you know what, odds are you're not going to get COVID from passing by somebody. You know, because, I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of been shown that that's not really how COVID is spread. It's more from the standing with somebody for, you know, five to ten minutes. It's all about your viral load. Um, and so if you just pass by somebody that has COVID while you're walking into the stadium, then you're not going to get it most likely. So. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that'll just be 
you know, another thing that's going to be kind of just uh, in the back of our minds kind of thing just throughout the season. Uh, but next quote, uh, this was someone that I was super excited about when we got him. I watched, you know, watching his highlights and seeing how Harson has dealt with running backs like this guy. Uh, Jarquez Hunter was a three-star coming in, had great numbers in high school, really good talent, a little bit, little bit undersized, uh, like a little, a little shorter in stature. But, you know, Owen Papo was saying that he's been going hard in the weight room. He squats 600 pounds as a freshman. It's insane. Uh, Weather, what are your kind of thoughts about Jarquez Hunter and how he might be able to work his way in the rotation? Because from all accounts I've heard all through workouts, he has been impressive. And, you know, as fall camp's coming up, I think he's going to be able to showcase what he can do. I think this is one of those situations where the ratings, and this is, again, going back to Harson's thing. Harson is trying to get guys to the NFL. Like, that does help recruiting. But also, at the end of the day, Brian Harson does not get paid by how many guys go to the National Football League. And stars do not indicate necessarily how good of a college football player you're going to be. They indicate what is your potential you're going to get drafted on day one, day two, day three. They even say this now. I mean, that, that's literally what they're looking at. All of the 24-7 things, they're looking at how we want on draft night it to say all the five stars got taken in the first round. Second round, it was four stars. Third and down are three stars. Okay? So think about it. We just said Kenny Irons, potentially a top five back in Auburn football, you know, last 20 years. Okay? Dude didn't play in the NFL. Or if he did, he didn't play very long. I mean, nobody even remembers that. Um, ben Tate, another guy that we're talking about, he played in the NFL for like – He floated around, but, yeah, never never really found a home. Never really found a spot. Okay, so all these people are like, oh, we got a bunch of three stars. How are we going to compete? Well, they might be good college football players. It's a different game than the NFL. It's just like there are good college basketball players – that can beat guys that are going to go to the NBA. I mean, Auburn had a bunch of NBA guys last year, and they suck. You know, I mean, just because you're going to be good in the NBA doesn't mean you're good in college. Um, so I think this is a prime example of a guy. They're looking at him. They're looking at how tall he is, they're, and they're like, okay, with his frame, he's not going to be able to put on the weight to be a first-round or high second-round NFL draft pick. That means you're a three-star. That doesn't mean that your potential of what you're playing as in, as a college player is that much different than the guy that's a four-star. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that this is a prime example of that. I think he's going to be a really solid college back. Sean Shivers really – I mean, he's a solid running back, you know? I mean, he's not an every-down back. He's small. This guy is bigger than Sean, you know? Like, he's the guy coming in who has the short stature, and he's not even the shortest running back that's going to be in the running back rotation. Um, clearly, he can – I mean, he's got some strength. Um you know, part of that also when you're shorter, you tend to be able to lift heavier weights because you're moving it less. Um, either way, 600 pounds is very, very strong. Um, and so, yeah, no, I'm excited about the guy. Um, I know writers that I respect have said, like, hey, this is actually a really good pickup. I think Jason Caldwell, Keith Nierberg or whatever, they both Nieberg, said it. Yeah. And you know what? I respect those guys because those guys aren't like, you know, Josh Vitale, who works for the Montgomery Advertiser. That's a dying newspaper. <laughs> we, there's not a big Josh Vitale, Vitale fan. 
however however you pronounce it. Uh, but next up, another you know another reputable reporter, Cole Kubelik, sat down with Owen Papo, and <laughs> we either liked that one. Uh, but he said, you know, he like clocked. A- I like Cole show a lot. He just has some outrage. I think sometimes he's just trying. He has to some outrageous takes. Yeah. Yes. He does. He does a little bit of the uh, the Kendrick Perkins say the craziest thing you can just so that you get posted and more people see who you are. But I would say the majority of his opinions when he's not trying to make a hot take are very solid and very reasonable. Love Cole. But, yeah, so he sat down with Owen Papo. Uh, Papo said that he clocked a sub 4-4 at 220 pounds and benched 430 pounds. Uh, Personally, I think that sub 4-4 was probably stopwatched. I mean, I think, you know, Owen Papo is fast, but, like, sub 4-4, that's that's flying. I mean, that's that's pretty fast. But – you know, Owen Papo is going to be one of the fastest guys on the field. He's going to be able – I mean, he's going to be one of the stronger guys on the field. The guy's just an absolute freak of nature. Uh, and I feel like people haven't been talking about him a whole lot because I feel like people have been looking at Zacoby's monster year last year, and I feel like people have been like, oh, yeah, Zacoby McLean leading the linebacker room. And you talk about the room's good. But I feel like Owen Papo is one of the – I mean, the guy is insane. The guy athletically is just an absolute freak of nature. And I think with a linebacker coach that, you know, has more of a history with coaching linebackers, you know, as much as we all loved T. Will, I think T. Will was much more of a guy like we're going to get really good linebackers here. But I feel like we didn't see as many linebackers come in kind of raw and be able to refine their game under T. Will as much as I liked him. But I think that Owen Papo is going to be able to take the next step. And I think that he is – someone who is really underrated going into this year, even though he's a team leader and he has been a starter since he was a true freshman. I agree. I just got an ESPN notification yeah. about uh, Oklahoma and Texas on verge of making the SEC move, and they cited the Austin dude. So, heard it here before you heard it at ESPN. If it was a live show, it's not a live show, but that's okay. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. But yeah, but yeah. So I think you know that's just kind of. So either what what were your kind of any last thoughts you had about SEC Media Day? Any anything that you thought was interesting that we have not talked about yet? Was there anything that stuck out to you? Anything like that? I don't think so. I think we hit most of the quotes from a lot of the players. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing. Uh, it's report with injuries. It looks like Jeremiah Wright's going to be the only guy that's going to miss uh, time in fall camp. Uh, Brandon Council's back 100%. Uh, the reports are saying Jeremiah Wright towards ACL during the spring, but pe- they're hopeful that he will play this season. Uh, he's made a great recovery, so I think that's you know that's good. That'll bolster the defensive line a lot. Uh, and then Tony Fair and Marcus Harris, the Kansas, the UAB and Kansas transfers, looking good in practice so far. I think once fall camp rolls around, we'll be able to see how they can how they can do. So, definitely excited about that. All right. So yeah, I think that's that's about it. Uh, we'll have another episode out next week. Uh, by then, who knows? Texas and Oklahoma might be in the SEC, and we might be talking more about how how that dynamic's going to work. Who knows? Just keep your eyes peeled for that. As always, if you have any questions, comments, anything you want us to talk about on the pod, feel free to DM the page. Uh, I answer all DMs, so I'd love to hear from you guys. And we'll see you guys next week. War Eagle.
Where you go?